Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live. Today's theme is women's fiction. And define that in any way you choose to. Um, and in addition to the always right, never wrong genius room... Yeah, that's just one of them. Can you imagine how terrifying they are in a pack? We also have two brilliant stars of the literary firmament. It's her first time on pop-ups, so do give her a rousing welcome. Please meet the entirely awesome Tiffany Yates Martin. Hello. Yeah. And you know her voice as a pop-up narrator. You know her wit and wisdom from her too frequent, uh, infrequent, not too frequent, too infrequent appearances here. It's a very warm welcome back to the polymathically talented Ali Gardner. I'm still smarting so, from the too frequent. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, genius room has fired up. We've got two seriously good panellists. Let the procedure commence. Here we are, straight into the first submission today. It's called Her, Him and Me. It's women's fiction slash uplit. Quite a new category there, actually, quite a new genre. And it's from Name a Diab, and this is Namer's Blurb. We all suffer trauma. It's part of being human. Some you can see, but the ones you can't cut the deepest. 54-year-old Neymar's life looks perfect, but inside she's in turmoil. Raised by her immigrant parents to be submissive, she's now stuck between a woman who couldn't give a mother's love and a man too sensitive for this world and wants to scream. Her story is about who she used to be and the quest for a happy ending, only for her to discover that in life there is no ending, just more life. Okay. Let me tell everybody about you, Neymar. Um, I was born in the UK to Pakistani parents. I had an isolated childhood, but somehow ended up studying at Cambridge. Sheer talent, I think. Uh, two years after my peers and the breakup of an engagement to a first cousin in Pakistan. Another arranged marriage, I wasn't keen on this one either, uh, sent me to the US, but after seven years, I convinced my husband to move to the UK. I started in advertising, trained as an accountant and then worked as a management consultant before becoming a mindfulness teacher. Well, you've been round the block. Uh, for the last eight years, I've mentioned I've mentored children from disadvantaged backgrounds. I have two lovely men boys, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying there, who still live at home, which means I'm usually making dinner for myself and three hungry men. To make it fun, I put on loud 80s music and dance badly while I cook. Oh, it's so vivid, actually. It's a really nice uh, little cover letter, actually. Uh, yeah, I get a complete uh, picture of that. And uh, to complete the, the picture, we've got a wonderful reading today from Emily. Her, Him and Me by Nema, read by Emily. Prelude, Summer 2021. She isn't speaking to me again. The experience of being so off-balance and the shame, endless thought patterns and the torment it brings with it have been carefully constructed by her, especially for me over years, over my whole life. But this time something is different, because balanced with the torment is also a growing feeling of space and clarity. All things considered, I feel neutral about my situation and I know there's something very significant about this point in my life. Over there is her, a woman who couldn't give me a mother's love 
never let me develop my own identity and constructed a life for me where my self-esteem became dependent on the approval of others, who used me as her emotional crutch, adviser, surrogate husband, daughter and best friend for 40 years, but now lives five minutes' walk from me and pretends that I don't exist. Except, that is, for the time she's busy destroying my reputation, questioning my sanity, and generally cursing me to those who will listen. A woman so broken, so damaged, that to have even the shortest encounter with her is to allow yourself to be hurt in some way. Somewhere else there's him, beautiful and extraordinary him. He looks perfect, but under the mask hides a sensitivity which makes him ill-equipped to handle this world. Fitting in is a constant struggle for him, and even though it comes from a place of innocence and with no intention to harm, he has hurt me even more than her, if that's even possible. And then there's me. If you look at me and look at my life, you'd probably think that I have it all. A meaningful and comfortable life with a successful husband, who adores me, wonderful children, good health, a great education, and work experience that allows me to hold my own. When I tell people I'm writing a book about my life, I see the look of incredulity flit across their faces before they say, Oh, that's great, while thinking, What does a woman like her possibly have to write about? But if you scratch beneath the surface, my life isn't what it seems to be. And if you go deeper, you realise I'm not the person people think I am. I can't blame anyone for that. In the process of writing this book, I found that even I didn't know who I was for most of my life. I've been standing in the same place for a very long time. In fact, it's been over seven years, which means that every cell in my body has regenerated and I'm essentially a new person now. But I'm still feeling tired because I've realised how much energy a person can burn, standing still just considering their options, wondering how to become unstuck from their past. When I began, I wanted to write about my life to help me move on, that maybe seeing my story on the pages of a book would give me the clarity that had eluded me for so long. It was an intense, shocking and transformational process. For the first time in my life, there were times when I thought I might implode, that I was questioning and processing so much information that I would short-circuit and cease to function, cease to have any control over myself, that I wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning and greet everyone with a smile and a hug, to have breakfast, to check in with my husband and sons, to cook dinner, and converse with them in the evening. At times, all I could do was lie in bed and wait for the turmoil in my head to end. A different person may have stopped, and some did voice the concerns. But I forged on because that's the type of person I am, and because I have a superpower that kicks in when I need it. I know how to speak to my pain. Thank you very much, Emily. Great reading to start the, the day. Uh, let's see what the genii, or maybe geniuses, because that is equally acceptable, according to the OED, I think. Um, they are saying blurb a little vague. Fiction, it says, um, nice biog, says RG. I thought so too, actually. And Izuku says, get the feeling there's a lovely story behind that blurb, but the blurb could be clearer. Um, prelude, RG, sounds like a prologue, but for non-fiction. And EG kind of hits the nail on the head, I think, says, this is a memoir, surely. Pamela likes the blurb, nice tease. Uh, we know what it's about, just not how we get there. Jimmy says, yeah, sounding like a memoir. Either like the title, like the first sentence. And he says, I like the voice, but maybe it might be better to start with a scene. And then that's kind of 
picked up and repeated by the geniuses. Um, I feel we need clarity about whether this is fiction or not. Very telly, says Ally, Ally Thomas. Matt says, we're being told, told, there's an interesting story in here, but we're not seeing that story. M. Dupré <laughs> says, <laughs> beginning of blurb has quantity mismatch. Being a little pedantic here, I think, M. Trauma is singular, sum is plural. No, oh, well, that's, guess what's why you need an editor. Um, and they're still wondering if this is a memoir when we get into it. Reads like a notes for a book rather than a book, says R.G. I want to skip to chapter one, says Sarah. And Annie says, I feel like the prelude is meant for the author to know why she's writing it, but maybe not the best place for the actual book to start. Let's see what Annie thought. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there is essentially no story. We get an idea of, of what the problems are. We get quite a clear idea of what the, the author's problems are. Um, but there doesn't appear to be any story. I have no real empathy with the, the author. I just kind of feel that if you're telling a story, you want, it's like sitting next to somebody on a bar stool and they start telling you a story. You want to sort of be drawn in, you know, and think, oh, yes, you know, what's happening next? Um, rather than, I think this is a bit of a monologue's just been landed on us um, without any, any real structure to it. So I, I literally think she should cut all of it. She has some beautiful turns of phrase and, you know, she clearly can write, you know, there's a fluency to it, yeah. um, but it's just sort of saying the wrong thing, really. So I, I think we need a story. We need to know what she's trying to tell us and get on with it, basically. <laughs> Monsieur Dupre says, thought, confirms. <laughs> yeah, he says, I am a pedant, he says. I am a pedant. <laughs> All the better for that, Monsieur Dupre. <laughs> makes me put on the funny French accent each time I mention his, his name. All right, Tiffany, your first reactions, please. Uh, yeah, so I agreed with a lot of the comments in the Genius Room that to me this did feel a little bit um, prelude -y, like a prologue. I thought we weren't quite sure what was happening and we didn't yet have a chance to understand who our character was so that we could invest in her. And then I think these things become interesting to us. But to me, this oh. felt like a lot of exposition, not enough happening. But uh, yeah. as Ali pointed out and a lot of the geniuses pointed out, the writing itself is lovely. I actually thought the cover letter was really great and showed some so. very vibrant yes. writing that was happening. And I yes. thought if we could bring more of that feel into this because there were some there were some terrific moments i wrote down i really like the contrast of her talking about wanting to write and then telling people that and being afraid that they would say oh what is their react what does she possibly have to write about that's a sense of conflict and her awareness of that that i was immediately interested in but that doesn't come till after we get quite a bit of somewhat cryptic explanation of other mm. characters Mm. And we're getting a lot of summarising there. I got, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I've given it a three for bang. I, I could, I would be persuaded to give it more, but ultimately, you know, I have to judge the words on the page. And I'm, you know, I'm all into making money for you if I can, and for me, me too, of course. And that's how we make money. We, we sell the words on the page. And there's, there's a lot of sizzle. There's a lot of. I, I think this is actually quite a commercial idea. But I don't. Mm -hmm. I, the execution isn't there yet. And one or two people have said maybe the authors writing themselves into it. Maybe there's something beyond this that is really the start of the book. I'm just thinking actually, Tiffany, because you do a huge amount of develop, development and developmental editing for people. I mean, is this sort of situation one you come across quite a lot? Yeah, there's frequently, um, I have a, an editor friend who calls it the author clearing her throat, where it's almost uh. like um, the author feels that there's some backstory we need to be able to understand or plant our feet in the story. And yeah. I always encourage authors to trust that if you show us who your characters are and plunge thus them and us into a situation, we'll be on board. 
Yeah, yeah. Archie says, advice to author. Right, like you wrote your fun, engaging biography. That's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So let's just make sure Tiffany's votes come in. And it has. Thank you very much for that. And Ali, I th- yes, I saw that come in. You've been remarkably quick on the old voting buttons today. Uh, genius room, of course, is ahead of everyone else. That's the definition of being a genius room. Let's look at your numbers. You've got a very respectable 57 in total there. Neymar. And my advice, as always, is I don't know if you're joining us live. If you are, just say hello. Give us a wave on YouTube. We love that. And you can ask questions, too, if you want to. We can't spend an awful lot of time answering, but you can. You can ask us a question. And I would say just freeze frame when you look at the replay. Freeze frame um, the Genius Room comments in particular, because what you're getting there is a living laboratory. They're reacting in real time as your manuscript is read. So just freeze and you know, listen to the reading, see what they think at any particular moment. That's a fantastic start. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, I think we're going to be on a winning streak today. Very first um, show of the month, which means all the scoreboards are clear and we are looking for a monthly winner. I've got a strong instinct there might be one here today. Maybe it's this. It's from Heather. QR code there too, so you can scan that on your phone and see where Heather wants you to go on the internet. Uh, Women's Fiction, age 25 plus. It's called Annie Hawkins Quietly Protests. Do you like that title? That's growing on me. Will I remember tomorrow? Yeah, I think I would. I think so. This is uh, Heather's blurb. After her landlady dies, 78-year-old Annie learns that she will be evicted in the cottage where she's lived over half her life destroyed. With the help of her granddaughter and a bunch of feisty pensioner friends, she decides to fight against this. Annie's troubles look to be over when a solicitor informs her that her landlady bequeathed the cottage to her £10,000. What a nice landlady. Annie is ecstatic and quickly pays up, but all is not as it seems when the solicitor disappears. (laughs) The cad. Let me tell everybody about you, Heather. After completing an online writing fiction course by the Open University, that's very interesting. You hear about so many courses these days. I think it's worth mentioning that the Open University has been around for some time and it, it's always had a very good re- reputation for that kind of thing. I'd like to know more, actually, about OU courses in this area. Um, I started writing short stories and have been shortlisted in two competitions. Love reading and mash stories. No longer running. Sorry about that. Uh, I write poetry commissions. Poetry commissions. Okay. And create cards through my Etsy shop. How lovely. Designer poems. That's where the link is, I guess. Uh, But I'm now excited to concentrate on novel writing and I'm currently working on my second. I'm married, have three adult children and live in Sussex. How exciting for you. And even more exciting, I think, will be this reading from Barbara. Annie Hawkins Quietly Protests by Heather Byrne Read by Barbara A dead body I'd found a dead body Sadie I couldn't believe she was dead Had died But there she was Through the window Sitting in that awful chair of hers Lifeless And definitely not alive My mind was a blur As I scuttled away to find Jim He'd know what to do He was practical like that I kept my finger on his doorbell, but when he didn't answer, dread set in. I'd have to deal with this myself. 
Hurrying back to the cottage, I slammed the door behind me, shaking the frame at my spine. Think. I had to think. No point calling 999. I'd banged incessantly on Sadie's window and she hadn't moved. The taxpayer would not thank me for a wasted ambulance journey. I steeled myself, picked up the headset and dialed. Is this Boots the chemist? I want to report a dead body. The table and chairs I'd set up on the patch of grass at the front of our cottages were slightly rickety on the uneven ground, but did the job as I sat nervously, waiting for Jim to come back. Sadie was young, had only just had her 70th, so was a fair few years younger than me. All this was a bit of a shock. The police arrived while I was sitting there in the sun, two of them asking questions and jotting notes in the books. I explained that I'd gone to Sadie's cottage to ask her why she hadn't turned up to look at the repairs I needed doing, like she'd promised to. In fact, I'd been rather annoyed, because she was always letting me down. Not getting an answer, I'd gone round the back and seen her through the window, sitting with her head back, false teeth hanging out of her mouth, in a rictus grin. It had never crossed my mind that she was... well. When they finished with me, they went to the cottage and broke the door down. Jim eventually came round the corner laden with carrier bags, his arms taut and stiff, back bent. I hurried to meet him, blurting out the shocking news as soon as he got close enough. He swayed a little, his eyes widening, so I took a bag from him and led him to the chairs. Why are we out here? he asked. I wanted to see what's going on, I said, sheepishly. I knew he'd not be very happy with my makeshift viewing gallery, but he just shook his head. I poured him a tea from a flask and set it on the table, gave him a rich tea biscuit too, as he seemed exhausted. Well, I never, he kept saying, more to himself than to me. I know, it's awful, I chewed the inside of my cheek. I suppose you'd better tell me what's been going on right from the beginning, he said softly. Sitting with Jim calmed me and I began to feel a bit better. I filled him in on all the details as he demolished his biscuit. He perked up a bit and the colour returned to his cheeks. I didn't know what to do. You weren't here. B and Q, he smiled, reaching down to pat the bag. But Annie, why did you call Boots? I reddened. Do you remember in the waiting room at the hospital when you nailed your finger to the bench? There was a poster there with who to call depending on the severity of your affliction. He nodded. Which is not a medical emergency, is she? Well, I suppose not. Anyway, the pharmacist told me to call the police. I nodded towards Sadie's house. And here they are, Smith and Jones. Jim glanced at me, and I shrugged. Honest truth. We began to laugh inappropriately, just as the two officers emerged from the cottage, looking harried. Well, let's go straight to the genius room and see what their reaction was. And uh, instant uh, reaction is the title. Everyone seemed to like it, actually. Everyone seemed very positive about it. Several genii have picked up the fact that there is a word missing from the blurb, and that's what they do because they're geniuses. Um, yeah, three or four people have uh, said that. I do like the title, says Johnny. That reminds me of something else. And there are one or two suggestions as to what that might be. Sounds very good. Sounds interesting, says LA RG. Who doesn't like a protesting pensioner? Um, title is suitable, but a bit clunky. Not a bad blurb. Coming from either. Eva, praise indeed, actually. Super opening, Johnny. We're moving into the uh, reading now. Barbara, who, of course, was our uh, excellent writer, said, how can you tell through windows someone is dead? Becomes more clear later, but it pulled me out. And that's an interesting comment, because our narrators see it slightly differently. 
the start of this is exciting says Suzuku excellent voice we've got people laughing you've got people laughing that's great that's what you want actually uh, good blurb says Monsieur Dupre um, don't think patient isn't it doesn't need quotes at all lovely phone joke oh, I like that a lot too Johnny says that Rictus Grin Annie uh, people are picking on things that they really like so I'm looking for anything negative ah Izuku I love this but I feel like the beginning was incredibly strong dropped into a bit of telling that could be scenes yeah great reading absolutely Pamela old lady beautifully rendered says Johnny um, great sense of humor at work here says Annie I think we better hear from um, uh, Tiffany what did you think yeah, I smiled the whole way through, like a lot of people said. It's got great voice. It hits you right away with something happening, obviously. Um, you get a sense of who the protagonist is. We know who this woman is based on her humor, based on her voice, based on her somewhat inappropriate reactions, like wanting to just set up camp so she can watch what's going on. Um, it's got a sense of intrigue. A question is asked. We want to know more. I thought this was a solid hit. Good. Excellent. I'm just actually, because you've really, you really got into this very quickly, Tiffany. This is only your second uh, manuscript. You're just already doing like an absolute total pro here. So you've given it very good marks. My goodness me. 100, that's five stars for the title. 100 for craft, 100 for the commercial potential, which is bang. You can't beat that easily. What did you think, Ali? Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I thought it was a, a very good piece. And I think, you know, to start off with a dead body and then slightly slap you around the face again with it. And, you know, I thought that was great. I mean, it was a, a really good opening. Um, having said that, we then dropped into an awful lot about the body. Um, mm. And I felt after a while I could describe the body rather better than I could describe um, the narrator. Mm. Um, you know, I could describe the teeth in detail, etc. So uh, I, I, I felt perhaps that bit was a bit extended and perhaps should be, should be pruned down a bit. Um, and an awful lot of the telling words and things like sheepishly and, you know, doing things inappropriately. You know, we know it's inappropriate if you're sitting there, you know, retin yeah. um, having a look at all this, you know, a body being carted out. Um, so yeah. I think a lot of that we don't need to be told. But it was a very vivid setup, a very feasible, a reasonable setup. You can see two old people sitting there with a flask of tea and the biscuits and, yeah. you know, the deck chairs and all kind of sorted to, to watch what was going on. Um, so, no, I, I thought it was, it was very good, but just does need a bit of editing. I loved the um, the thing I really liked. I wanted two people in the genius room, of course, pick this up. Was <clears throat> I didn't quite know what to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. It wasn't exactly a medical emergency because she's dead. So I found Boots. Boots is a chemist, chain of chemists in the yeah. UK. So I found I found the chemist. I thought that was lovely. I needed more of that. If I can have a, a few more hits like that. It also slightly reminded me, um, I don't know if anybody knows the author Anne George, she died some years ago now, uh, she used to write, uh, was it, The Southern Sisters, Southern Sisters, and uh, if you haven't um, encountered the Southern Sisters, who are about the same age as the protagonist here, you're in for a real treat. Uh, it's, it's very, very localised, very uh, very much focused on Montgomery, Alabama, but my goodness me, she, they, they come alive and they're just, the humour is so, so good. Rye, really. Uh, I needed a bit more of that, uh, and more of that than I think you're absolutely way. Um, let's look at the numbers. Oh! <laughs> well, now, I'm going to write that down. That's, that's going to be a tough score to beat, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the writing's everything in this. Of course, I do think it needs a bit, a bit more of a, uh, a line edit than it's had so far, but... I think that's that's pretty solid, actually. Hopefully you're, you're pleased with that, Heather. Let's just see what the genie is saying. It, it has, Johnny. Johnny says it's got a Thursday murder club vibe. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of, I don't know, um, in the States, actually. 
Um, have you got sort of cosy crime, cosy this, cosy that? We're very big yeah. into co. Yeah, we're big into cosy fiction now. This kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little bit. Uh, it's peaked a little bit a few years ago here, but we still have. It's a still yeah. popular genre. Yeah. Yeah, this is great, says Monsieur Dupre. The protagonist just dot enough, and uh, lots of uh, lots of nice things said about you, Barbara, and your reading. That is a very impressive start. Let's see what's next. And here we go. Submission number three. What will people think? What will people think? I like that title too. I think we've got some good titles on the show today. What will people think? Women's fiction from Sarah. And this is Sarah's blurb. What Will People Think is a novel of 70,000 words and is the story of Ruth, who lives on an island dominated by the Catholic Church. Ruth conforms to the path that Irish society espouses of getting married before it's too late and living a good, respectable life. She doesn't consider what it is to be happy. She doesn't realise she isn't happy until it's too late. This novel is about the preciousness of time and of living life for yourself, not to please anyone else. Mm. So, I live in Cork in Ireland, says Sarah. I have four children, all under 13. You must be busy. I work full-time in a technology company and started writing novels in the last few years, availing of any moment I can find a slot to write. That's how it goes. Uh, you're often burning the candle at both ends, actually, when, when, you, when you start this path. Um, I've previously written plays with the Royal Court Young Writers Group, very good, and the Traverse Theatre Writing Group that were produced as part of writing festivals. Fantastic. Even more fantastic will be, I can assure you, this reading by Emily. What Will People Think by Sarah, read by Emily, part one, 1963, Dublin. Ruth poured tea into Judith's teacup from a leaky pot. The hot drips ran down the metal sides and splashed onto the formica tabletop, fanning out like tiny crowns. She topped up her own cup as it rattled slightly in the saucer. They were at a large table, expecting Judith's brother Aaron and some of his college classmates to come by. Ruth knew Judith and Aaron from home. It was bizarre spending this much time with them up in Dublin, when they had only been acquaintances in Cork. But during the first term at Trinity, Judith and Ruth had stuck together in an unspoken arrangement that suited them both. The bell over the tea room door tinkled and Ruth looked over the sea of heads towards the noise. A tall man in a tweed pea coat was coming through the door. She felt a sharp constriction across her chest. An unexpected physical reaction that took her a moment to recover from. She heard the quickness of her breath. There was something immediately beguiling in him, even from ten feet, a mix of uncertainty and confidence. Ruth thought of Elvis and tried not to watch as he crossed the room. It took her a moment to realise Judith was standing, her hand outstretched towards the man. Judith turned to Ruth with a smile. He removed his coat to shake out the remnants of lingering Dublin weather, then stretched his hand out to greet Ruth. She slowly placed her fingers into his, unsure how they got there, reluctant to pull them away. Frank Foley, he said. She stood, mouth slightly agape, then mustering her face into action, gave a small nervous laugh. Judith raised an eyebrow. Ruth laughed again. Ha ha, more of a pant. We'll sit, will we? Judith asked, looking from one of them to the other. Frank's reading medicine with Aaron. 
Behind Frank, Aaron and a couple of his friends arrived at the table. Ruth didn't notice them coming in, but welcomed the distraction of their arrival. They were all wearing identical style coats to Frank. She felt certain that she would be able to spot a medical student the next time one passed by. They said their hellos, and Ruth remained seated as she greeted them. Another student nurse arrived from Judith's college. Not very attractive, Ruth noted, which pleased her, a big jaw and something of a matron in the making. The small square window frames of the tea room were arched in condensation. The brown wooden chairs and shiny tables were yellowed by the light from the overhead bulbs. It looked like the start of a fairy tale. All cosy tones and bright eyes. No sign of the witch fattening up children in the forest on page one. Ruth sat back down and sipped her cooling tea. She tried to loosen her silk scarf and moisten her throat to get some words back out of it. Furtively, she glanced over to Frank and he caught her eye. He smiled at her across the table. They were a few people apart on either side, the babble of talk keeping them distant enough to prevent conversation. She smiled back. His smile grew warmer, deeper, directed at her. Could he see her heart galloping through her shirt? The world shifted a little left and rightened, and she held herself steady, her eyes on his horizon, the sway of a boat in her stomach. She felt a small laugh bubble out of her, and trying to hide it she brought her fingers to her lips. Still smiling, she had no choice but to break away from this intensity. When she looked up, he was looking somewhere else. The sound of the tea room began to come back to her, the clink of cups hitting saucers. The furl grew loud enough to dislodge her thoughts. She was a little embarrassed. Her cheeks were probably flushed. Judith might have sensed something, but she could shrug her off. Say she thought she recognised him, or he reminded her of someone. He probably did. I hope you don't mind me moving around here to get closer to you, he said. Um, thank you very much, Emily. Great reading. I see Emily has just joined the Genius Room. So t- tell us, Emily, uh, what it did for you. Uh, we always want to hear from our narrators. Uh, what did you think? And I'm going to ask Ali for her instant reactions. Um, to what, what about the title? Do you like the title? Moderately. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it does give a sense of intrigue. It, it doesn't let you know. I, mean, I guess it gives you a, a mild idea of what's what it's about. Um, but yeah, no, I, I quite liked it. Um, my, my feeling was just that it's a slightly cliched start. You know, man walks in and, you know, um, across the room, sudden, you know, physical palpable reaction. And, and all of the reaction was tends to be, again, quite cliched, you know, the sort of nervous laugh and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and all of it was telling. Um, there was very, very little actually showing and just an awful lot of telling in there. And I, I mean, I think this one, again, would benefit from being told in the first person. I think that would have brought us a lot closer to it. And, you know, oh, my God, I could feel blah rather than than the way it was given. Yeah. Um, Can I just I, interrupt I was, you for a moment? So because um, Annie has kind of uh, uh, hit the nail on the head, as she often does do in the genius room. And she said, this could be a Sally Rooney novel but I'm not connecting to the main character yet. And it's got, it, for me, it has got that Sally Rooney vibe. Has it for you? I wouldn't know. I don't read. Okay, fair enough. I have to professionally understand. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. I just have to do it, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I literally, 700 words, I know what her reaction is. 700 I don't know who she is. I know she's nervous in the presence yeah. of a man. 
you know, yeah. um, uh, she's possibly of a certain age, but I really know nothing about her. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not invested in her. I have no, no emotional connection to her. So I would have liked, I would have liked to have felt for her, as it were, and yeah. not just been hit with a fairly standard reaction. There's a lot of commenting going on about the formatting. Um, Annie agrees yes, with that. Like that. Says, <laughs> yeah, you didn't like that either. Let, let, let's let's do it because. Um, Tiffany does uh, line editing as well as development editing. So formatting generally, Tiffany, how important is it? Uh, okay, so full disclosure, I was just sort of looking away and letting it absorb, so I didn't actually mm. look at the formatting. Okay. But I will say that industry standard formatting, obviously, if you're submitting, is very important, I think, because yeah. it makes you look like a professional, like you know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, you're starting right. yourself at a handicap if you don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's take it from the top. Title, feelings? Mm. Uh, title, did I vote? Okay, yes, I did. Oh, um, did? Yes. The title, I thought, was I like the title. I thought mm. it was interesting. It, it had it was, a little yeah. bit of something. It was a very women's fiction title. So I do work in women's fiction um, prevalently, actually. Yeah. So to me, this felt like a very current, marketable title, kind of asks a little bit of a question, maybe implies that there could be a scandal of some sort. So I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, blurb felt a little generalized, vague mm -hmm. to me. It was a story about uh, a theme or a feeling from the blurb, but it didn't tell me what was happening. And so the submission itself sort of followed through with that to me. I agree with Ali hmm. that um, there's some good writing here. And I thought yeah. there was some good description here, but it did feel like a lot of description. But the thing that jumped out at me most as an editor of women's fiction is that this doesn't feel like women's fiction to me. It hmm. feels like a romance. Because women's fiction generally, um, and that title is just starting to kind of fall out here in the States. I don't know about there. Yeah, but Publishers Weekly just yes. talked about the fact that they're going to just start lumping that in with fiction because, yeah, that's you right. know, women's fiction is fiction read by human beings. Um, so, but, but they usually tend to focus on the character more than the romance. And this plunged right in with a romance before, as Ali said, I knew anything about the character. So mm. while the writing was engaging, and I, I really actually liked the idea of that lightning strike, you know, like in The Godfather, the thunderbolt. But I didn't, it didn't resonate for me yet because I didn't know enough about the character for that to feel important to me. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. And let's just check the voting numbers there. You do like the title. You're good at that. 18, that's four stars. Blurb, I agree. I mean, I, I've actually marked it lower than you um, because it's not really a blurb. It's more of a sort of mm. a bit of this, bit of the other. You don't, you, I don't need to know how many words it is in your blurb. It doesn't matter, really. Um, craft, 60. Bang, 60. Yeah, that's about it. Um, and Emily in the genius room, she does give us a reaction there because we always want to hear from our narrators. Emily says, thought it was just a bit lacking, but just uh, felt like nothing was happening. Felt it was the wrong place to begin. Thank you. And dialogue feels a bit flat to me. Says, Monsieur Dupré, I don't feel the chemistry. Also, M dashes don't work for me. So many people are picking, picking that up. Um, Unless you're an established, perhaps, bestseller, says Jimmy James, the Lincoln Highway, yeah, you have to follow industry standards of formatting. And uh, RG says, yes, yeah, submitting's like a job application. Be professional. Pamela Joe is reviewing you, actually, Tiffany, and she says, TYM is nailing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how about that? All right, let's look at the numbers. 
62, very solid number. Um, I like the title. I think the, the writing craft is, is good, uh, potentially uh, excellent. But um, yeah, one more is to say I agree with everybody else. Let me just write that down. A 62 as a total score. I'll tell you what, I think we should actually speak to Tiffany Yates Martin and see. Why well, is this the first time you've been on, Tiffany? So let's have a look. It uh, is. Yeah, let's have a look and see what's what's going on here. We've got a number of things to look at, actually. Like this, for example. Fox. You are editorial. fancy. You well, are you fancy, oh, Peter Cox. Oh, oh. And my favourite guest. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. All right, tell us what it is. What is this, this website I see before me? Uh, this is my Foxprint editorial. It started out as my editorial website. I've been doing this for 30 years. Oh, my and goodness. Yeah, I've been building it since then. So it used to be mostly where I just had my editorial services, but now I've expanded. I've written a book called Intuitive Editing. I teach online courses. Um, I do a lot of presentations. So now it's just a little bit of all of that. It's I try to make it a resource for writers, a clearinghouse. There's a lot nice. of downloadables on there, recommendations, ways to get started. So let me take you back. 30 years. I've just been to a 30-year <laughs> uh, wedding anniversary today, actually. Uh, it's extraordinary. 30 is the number of the day. Um, 30 years ago, right? How do you get into yeah. this? What, what happened? What was the trigger? I was an actor living in New York City, and like oh. every other actor, I was a waiter, and I didn't want to do that forever. So I'd been an English major, and I thought, well, all right, let's see if I can... Uh, you know, make money as an English major, as one does. So oh. I found an ad in the New York Times that said, get paid for reading books, which I thought wow. was sure to be a scam. <laughs> it must have been, But yes. it was not a scam. Uh, $25 for this little pamphlet. This was in 1992. And it told you how to start working with the big publishers in New York as a freelance proofreader and copy editor. So I started doing that. And then oh. um, and this is back before the, oh God, I'm, I can't believe I'm going to date myself, before the internet. So I had yeah. To actually go to the library and get this book yeah. about this big called the literary marketplace yes. and you just looked up all the publishers yeah, yeah. so um mm. took a test started working with them did that for about a decade yeah. mm, 12 years and then i've been developmental editing for the rest of the time i yeah, moved into sense. that about 15 years ago so and now you i work and, with you publishers and, and authors We've lived through this extraordinary period, actually. We have completely, completely mm -hmm. analog and now you know, not entirely digital, please, but, you know, mostly digital, I suppose, in terms of volume. So what, what, what have you seen? What sort of, I don't know, constraints or burdens do you, do you feel that's, that's placed, new ones, do you feel that's placed on authors over, over the past few decades? Oh, I think a lot more is on authors. It used to be a bit of a paternalistic system almost where oh. it was like, y'all just give us your book and we'll take yeah. care of everything. And now I think authors for good and bad are more responsible for a lot of the business side of their business, oh. which is great. We can build our platform. We can take more ownership of our career. Um, but it also means it's a bit of a you know, a lot of us go into this because we are creatives and we, a lot of us are introverts, um, me yeah, not included, but many people who are creatives. And so then Most you're expected to do a lot of things that are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a yeah. mixed bag, but I do yeah. think it's a more democratized and opportunistic time for authors than we've probably ever had. Yeah. No, sit tight, sit tight. Not another word while we play this promo. I think you're going to like it. Here we are. That is our <laughs> book of the week. You type that into your browser, book.litopia.com, and you will come up with this rather splendid cover. 
intuitive editing. Oh, my good heavens above, it's by Tiffany Yates Martin. What a coincidence. <laughs> Tell us about it, Tiffany. This is my passion project. Um, over the years I've found, I'm sure you guys have too, that we wind, there are authors wind up having the same stumbles in their uh, manuscripts over and over and over. And so I would be explaining just the same things over and over. And I kept wanting something to be able to point to authors and say, well, here's what I mean by that. Let me expand. Right. So I wrote this book as a way of, um, first of all, editing and revising to me are probably the most important parts of writing, but I think they are under taught and under authors are underprepared for how much of the process is going to be editing and revising. And then we're also not really taught how to do that. So I yeah. wanted a resource that would teach authors how to objectively assess their own work and then how to address what they find that areas it might be made stronger. So each uh, chapter is divided up by a craft element. And then within each one, it says how to find it and how to fix it. And it has real specific ways of doing both. Fantastic. And of course, the Genius Room, being what they are, have already got your book. You oh, know? I love isn't, your isn't that so cool? Isn't that so cool? <laughs> there you go. Book.latopia.com. It'll take you straight through to the, the buy page. Thank you. There you go, book.lotopia.com. And we haven't quite finished. No, no, yes, we have finished with that. Stop it. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. <laughs> Get off my screen. Uh, we haven't quite finished with Tiffany because I happen to know that you, you have a pseudonym. It's, well, it's not that secret anymore because it's all on the screen now, isn't it? PhoebeFoxAuthor.com. Right, so yeah. uh, 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 tell us about this. How many books have you written? What's the genre? And how did you start doing that? Uh, women's fiction, go figure. Um, right. The, the let's see my sixth novel came out with penguin random house uh in the fall of last year mm. and i've always written um like most of us i love stories i love words that's why i went into this business yep. it is not my first love i will say editing is my first love and my focus which is why mm. i kept them separate for a while but i just outed myself yeah. about a year ago because it, oh, felt, really? it felt a little bit inauthentic Okay. It, almost like I wasn't in the trenches. I didn't want authors to feel that my focus was not on their work. Yes. That it was more yes. on my own career. So it's only anyway. a year ago that you actually there's been a connection between yeah. TYM and Phoebe. Openly, oh. yes. Oh my goodness. It was it was a not a wow. closely guarded secret, but I did not oh. publicize it at all as a yeah. connection. But now I now I'm open about it. But wow. I haven't really written fiction in a few years. I've been so focused yeah. on um, doing a follow up for intuitive editing. Hmm. Well, you're certainly walking your talk, aren't you, actually? And not, not a lot of people do that in our area. Um, that is amazing. I, I'm going to... Okay. What am I going to do now? Oh, I think, I think actually, yeah, I know what we have to do. We have to look at the scorecard. We have to look at the scorecard. Here we are. Um, we've got some high scores today, but my goodness me. Heather is stonkingly successful at 79. I honestly don't know if anyone's going to beat that. We have two more submissions. Let's find out. Submission number four comes from Philippa. Hello, Philippa. Hopefully you're with us today. Literary slash commercial fiction. Oh, I, I like it when literary fiction goes commercial. Not very often, but it does sometime. And it's called Apple from the Tree. This is Philippa's blurb. 500 days after the death of charismatic artist Fee Hicks. Her daughter, Tallulah, receives a letter from her mother, urging home. Hmm. Leaving behind her superficial London life, Tallulah returns to the remote Scottish island. 
The arrival of a tabloid journalist intent on writing a damaging biography of Fee uh, unites Tallulah and friends in a race to write an official biography. Hmm. While researching Fee's life, Tallulah learns uncomfortable truths Fee kept from her daughter. Well, I'm interested in that. Feels like a black and white British movie, doesn't it? The 1950s or something like that already, which I like. Um, I've spent my days teaching English and travelling, says Philippa. I now write part-time and work as an educational consultant in schools and as a lecturer and tutor at Cambridge University's teaching creative writing course. Hmm. I was selected by my tutor for inclusion in the best of MA writing publication for Sheffield Hallam University. I am passionate about books and read voraciously. I've written four non-fiction educational books. I've been working with a literary editor this year. I live in Yorkshire with my four dogs, two cats, one child and mum. <laughs> I think we've got the picture there and uh, we're going to get a fabulous reading from Hannah. Apple from the Tree by Philippa, read by Hannah. Chapter 1 Jess, London, December 2018 Her mother has been dead for 16 months when the letter arrives. The handwriting on the envelope is distinctive, large creative flourishes and big loops. The flamboyant upward flick on the last H is unmistakable. This is her mother's handwriting. But how can that be? Jess shivers in the hallway, heart hammering. She looks at the pale blue envelope again. But it's impossible. Hands shaking, she tears it open and unfolds the letter. The note is brief. My darling girl, I can't believe it will have been 500 days when you received this. She does the maths. It is. Fee committed suicide on her 38th birthday, the August before last. I hope you are happy in London, but if you are reading this, I know it's time for you to come home. I love you, my beautiful girl, and despite everything, I want the best for you. You have so much to offer this world. Your bright spirit needs to shine. I'm sure you have many questions, which I cannot answer now I am gone, but the island will talk to you. Come home and listen well. I love you always and forever, Mum. She scans the words again, struggling to understand. Has her mother done some weird Lord Lucan? She hated media attention. Has she faked her death, but wants to come back? But she would have told her, wouldn't she? She wants her to go back to the island, the place she grew up, the place she thought she'd escaped. Jess stands on the balcony, wrapped in an old Afghan blanket her mum crocheted. One of the few concessions to her hippie shit as her boyfriend Daniel calls it, in their clean-lined apartment. She looks out over the urban sprawl of Vauxhall, apartments and their balconies, with bicycles and barbecues, fairy lights and Christmas trees. The view might not be much, but it's the city she has fallen in love with, 
It's in her veins and she can lose herself in the rhythm of its streets. Today, the view doesn't bring her joy. She craves the fog and dreaminess of the river, the bustle of the bridges. She is a voyeur. Through apartment windows, she sees a woman ironing and a man watching television and wonders about the lives of these people she doesn't know and who don't know her. Here she can be anyone she wishes, anonymous. She turns away and their lives disappear, leaving her to face her own. Her thoughts swim back hundreds of miles to the tiny wind-blown island where it all began. Is she dead? Is she alive? Dead or alive? You spin me right round, baby, right round. She should call him. The winter gloom has descended and the stars are already out. L'étoile in French. Jess has always loved saying that word, l'étoile. She loves the way the second L rests on your palate, like a tiny kiss in the roof of your mouth. She sips a glass of brandy and lights a cigarette, trying to quell her nerves. It's been a rough day to begin with. She'd lost her job as receptionist at the town hall in Westminster. She was never meant to be long term. Six years ago, she had rocked up in London, aged 18, needing a job. It was the first thing she'd seen. And now this, a letter from her dead mum. What the fuck? The brandy warms her, but the cigarette makes her lightheaded. But she still smokes too in quick succession, then goes back into the spotless apartment. Daniel has a crew that comes in on Mondays and Fridays. Jess says she is happy to do the cleaning herself. There are only two of them, and they're hardly ever in. But Daniel insists, and Jess is grateful. She feels spoiled and likes the order. She pours another drink and switches her music on. The sultry voice of Madeline Peru winds through the apartment like perfume. She picks up her phone. Her heart hammers as she taps out his familiar number. She imagines the landline ringing in the farmhouse. A mechanical voice says, your number could not. <laughs> and there we get elided. <laughs> we don't know where that's going, actually, do we? Uh, you can finish the sentence, actually. We say 700 words, but if it's 710, that's fine. You don't literally have to cut us off in the middle of the sentence. I want to know what, uh, what happens next. Um, lots of reactions in the genius room. Sounds like a good story, says Sarah, but the blurb is hiding it. Bits missing the blurb, says Glenn. Um, is there a word missing, says Monsieur Dupré? Uh, Great author name. Uh, author names are important. Yeah, brand names. Yeah, and it is. Philippa Ronan, fantastic name. Pamela says, the concept seems overworked to me. I've seen, um, it feels I've seen the same blurb about 50 times. Maybe it's just me. Good start, says LA. Jimmy says, love Hannah's reading. Absolutely. Uh, LA says, it wouldn't, she wouldn't, I think I agree. She wouldn't stop reading the letter to do the math. She would do that afterwards, after she's digested it. Straight into the action, says Archie. I like this so far, says Glenn. Matt, letters a great idea. I think it's a great idea, actually. It's, uh, I would definitely read on, personally. But maybe we don't need all of it. Get to the point, I think. And Johnny says, is Mum dead? It's an interesting cookie for me. It is, isn't it? And Archie, nicely written, though. Info dumps. 
L.A. says, goes on to say, I don't think she would be thinking about the lives of strangers right now. She would be too busy wondering about the letter and thinking of her mum. Um, and Johnny's picked up a nice song reference. Oh, lots of com lots of comments. Suzuku, instead of all this internal thought, I like to know more about the relationship with her mum. Yes, I wonder why why she's not thinking about that. Maybe a, a, a golden opportunity. Surely this is me talking that golden opportunity. Surely to, for us to get invested in the protagonist. Maybe in scenes. Not sure, but I'm struggling. Says uh, Izuku with the juxtaposition of her thoughts. Yes, about mum and her observations of London. So who should we ask? Let's see what Tiffany thought. Uh, okay, so bl the blurb was not as good, I think, as the submission itself was, because the idea here is really good. It's intriguing. It's got, yes, this is a format you'll see a lot, especially in women's fiction, where you go back and revisit the past. But I thought this had a nice um, twist to it mm. about having to write the artist's biography before it's miswritten. That was very interesting. Mm. It was a little confusing because that first line, I didn't understand that Fee was her mother. So that's just a matter of clarification and maybe giving us a little bit more of a hook. But what I really liked about this submission was it, boy, it starts you right off with Doesn't a it? hook. Doesn't it? Yeah, and we've got some conflict, we've got tension, we've got a sense of intrigue, we know a little bit about the character. I, it has this great sort of galloping, momentous beginning, and then I agreed with a lot of the geniuses that it felt like the air went out of the balloon a little bit because for the reasons everybody said, you've got this very intriguing, urgent thing that happens. And then she's thinking about coming to the city and liking the anonymity and her neighbors. And I do feel like this is an attention grabber. Um, yeah. I actually liked the maths because I thought one of the really interesting details for me was that this letter arrived 500 days after her mother's death and her mother knew that's when it would arrive. That mm. to me raised an interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, well spotted, actually. And RG says, damn, I'm invested. Want to know if her mum is dead? I felt invested, too, actually. It's always a great mm. moment, actually, when, you know, the so-called professionals of our business um, to stop being professionals, stop being agents, stop being publishers, just for the duration of reading your manuscript. And they go, oh, yeah, but what happens next? That's, that's great. You know you've got them at, at that time. What did you think, Ali? Uh, I thought, it, I mean, a great start and a very intriguing premise. And, you know, I agree about the 500, actually. You know, I, I quite like the fact that it really was actually 500. You know, the mother is dead, but somehow she knew and, you know, yeah. could do it, could organise that, you know. Mm. And you get quite an impression about the mother, you know, that she would do this and she you would, do. you know. <laughs> yeah, she's quite she's quite strong. And also the letter. The letter, I thought, again, spoke well. It, it wasn't difficult to imagine the author of that letter. Yeah. It, um, so I, I thought that did give you a reasonable impression of the mother but to start off with such a strong start and a real kind of you know bang and then yeah to slow right down and to go off it's almost like it's a boucle you know you're moving in a line and suddenly went off on a little sort of sidetrack and then you came back again for a bit and off you went so we had the stars and the people the apartments and um so i mean i did yeah. wonder instead of dumping all this stuff um that she could have done this as a conversation if daniel had been there she could be saying uh. how is this possible you know, she's dead. Oh, you know, well, she cannot be bothered. Why are you so bothered about this? So we could have got an impression about Daniel, who, the, I mean, the author clearly wanted to tell us a bit about Daniel and perhaps... Well, the, geez, I start already starting to hate Daniel. We haven't met the poor brother yet. <laughs> she hates him. Oh, my God. Um, but I do wonder, as a conversation, we could have got quite a lot of that in, but, you know, without all the... 
the, the sort of bits of stuff that really didn't matter. I mean, yeah. some bits I liked, you know, the fact that the city was in her veins and, and she could lose herself in the rhythm of the city. You know, again, I kind of, you know, I could feel that, you know, it hmm. drew me in. Um, or even if she'd, you know, had a conversation with a dead mother. Mother, how can you do this to me? I'm so used to living in London. You know, I love it here. Why are you asking me to go to the island? Whatever, I don't know. Um, but yeah. I did wonder it could have been done better than just dumping all this stuff. Maybe yeah, go it's, through it's a golden opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of writers would kill for that sort of, you know, initial setup. Yeah. But I, I get the impression, possibly, Philip, you've, you've, you know, you've edited this so much, maybe, that, you, you know, that you've, don't quite understand the the power of what you've done and you know and where the reader wants to go because where you're taking the reader after that i think is a slightly different direction um but i really want some dialogue says pamela joe uh but put the 500 after she finishes reading says monsieur dupre not quite sure why but i'm sure there's logic there and RG says, uh, thought process subject matter trim would make this shine let's see what the numbers look like 66 66 i think that's a pretty good number but it's not 79 we've got one more submission to go let's see if that's going to top 79 here we go final submission of the day it's from josephine josephine bruni or brunei i don't know uh just a reminder please give me pronunciation guides if i'm if I can mangle something, I will. So it's contemporary fiction. It's an unexpected donation. And this is Josephine's blurb. It's the starts. Elevator pitch. <laughs> Elevator pitch. There are few addictions more powerful than alcohol. Love is one of them. Did I sound like Barry White then? <laughs> I don't know. The protagonist, <laughs> the protagonist is an award-winning puppeteer fallen on hard times. When a man comes from the past to shake and reshape her life, her fantasy overtakes her, both helping and hindering her on the road to recovery from alcoholism. It's also the story of how friendship can guide us through life, despite our ambitions being thwarted and our emotions violated. Okay. By Josephine. I've written poems as a jester troubadour in a group of actors specialising in medieval festivals. What an extraordinary way to uh, to start! What an amazing experience in life, actually. You've 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 lived the life of a jester troubadour. I don't think we've ever had anyone uh, who's uh, who's who's done that. That's quite unique. Uh, writing plays staged with giant puppets. Hmm. I won first prize in the 1999 International Festival of Puppeteers in Perugia, Italy. Life happened and things changed. A long pause in creative matters was followed by short story writing. Reborn was published by Litbreak, a New York-based magazine. The Jungle was a finalist in Litmag's Virginia Woolf Award. That sounds prestigious. The Jungle won first prize in Open Pen's cover competition and will be included in the next Open Pen anthology, Pen presumably the uh, writer's organisation, uh, together with my satirical story, story Dogs and Shakespeare. Brexit has been published in an anthology, so I guess that's the title of your work not the uh, not the nightmare we're living at the moment uh, Brexit has been published in an anthology curated by Dr Lyle Skeynes of Bournemouth University UK and this believe it or not because she is omnipresent is a reading by Ellie An Unexpected Donation by Josephine 
read by Alison. Susan moved a bunch of silvery flowers from the counter and put them in a vase. Her hands shook like a pair of maracas. A shirt of colours that didn't suit her smelled of somebody else's perfume. Somebody probably now dead. At ten o'clock in the morning, the halfpenny charity shop was empty. The mountains of things held within it added to the confusion in her mind. Odd objects, rejected by people who didn't have a use for them anymore, filled every nook and cranny. Hand warmers, boxes of lavender soap and cream, chocolate fondue sets, mugs with embarrassing logos, boxes of random electric wires, all waiting to be chosen or thrown away. Susan had been working in the shop for four years. It was her refuge, the place away from home where she felt useful. Work, proper work, was not an option. It hadn't been for years, not since she left an audience waiting while she enjoyed a bath full of bubbles with her lover. It surprised her to think that once she'd been an artist who used her imagination to earn a living. Now she fantasised. It was different. Very different. Behind the chipped and battered counter was the box full of old CDs, collected through the ages by volunteers. Susan picked Verdi, and soon the notes of La Traviata floated through the shop. She thought of the pale Violetta Valerie with her tuberculotic flushed cheeks, stricken by emotions, of the love that demands great sacrifices, that leaves only to come back when it's too late. Susan turned the volume up and moved her head to the music. She was a small woman, plump like a furry toy, with a thin nose, red, raw lips, and brown bouncy curls. Her trousers were too long, and she wore that brown shirt creased beyond creased. She was forty-two, too young to be wasting away, too old to be wasting away. A restless energy tormented her. She felt the dread of the night before, of which she remembered little or nothing. She lived to drink and drank to live. The halfpenny charity shop held her, a second-hand woman with a second-hand life. A very old man came into the shop, walking as if bobbing in and out of a wave. He had a big nose and ears the size of hands. Once Susan would have made a mental note to sketch his face. Pulling a trolley, he laid a long, knotted hand on the counter. You deaf! he shouted. No, I'm mad, Susan shouted back. I'm here for the books. Are there ever enough books for you? No. Come on, then. I'll help you with the trolley. Darkness reigned on the stairs at the back of the shop, where old things were forgotten covered with dust and loneliness. A plastic skull with bulging bloodshot eyes caught Susan's attention. She planned to build puppets for Hamlet in an undetermined future. She had staged Shakespeare before, and it had won her international prizes. Maybe the skull could be made into a puppet to tell the story of how, after all, death was just a joke played by a careless comedian. She was caught for a moment by fantastic visions of papier-mâché castles and fake fog. Then the old man huffed behind her. Are we moving or not? Susan didn't reply. She left him in a room with hundreds of books. All of those words, if placed in a line, could reach Paris and Violetta Valerie in her white dress, destined to sing and die over and over again. Back downstairs, Susan looked to the world through a spidery crack in the window. People at the bus stop held bags of food from the large supermarket across the road. It was an award-winning building, but she saw it only as a big grey thing with excessively bright lights, holding aisles of treasures in the shape of bottles.
cans. So, of course, we need to talk to Ali about that because she uh, read it from the inside out. Um, general, I don't think generally good, pretty uh, pretty strong reactions there. Uh, like the title, says RG. Jimmy likes the title. And he says, somebody probably now dead. That got my attention. Uh, RG's actually managed a charity shop. The random electric wires made me smile. So he got very similar to you there. Uh, great prose, uh, Annie. Um, confident writing, RG. Good writing, says Eva. Zuku loves some of these lines. Matt, second-hand woman with a second-hand life. Great line. Uh, L.A. says, well written. Intrigued to see where we're going. Classy writing, or classy writing even, from Johnny. Um, International Prize is too vague, says RG. And, of course, you can just look at, uh, you can read the comments for yourself. Wonderful passages, says Matt. Mixed with others, taking us away from the story. And uh, three cliches in a row, just before the guy showed up for the book, says, Monsieur. And you know what? This is a very frequent criticism, really. Johnny says, yeah, I agree. Pace needed picking up. So let's just see what you thought of that as our narrator. Um, well, if we start with the blurb, actually, I liked certain bits of that, you know, things like a puppeteer. You think, gosh, we don't get many of those um, as, our, <laughs> as our main character. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that the, the, her fantasy, you know, her sort of connection to fantasy both helped and hindered her. Right. You know, again, you sort of think, oh, yes, but, you know, kind of tell me more. How does that happen? Um, but I thought otherwise the blurb was a bit generic. So I, I think it would have been a bit nicer to be a bit more specific. Um, uh, I liked, I very much liked the way that the shop reflected what we were to believe about her. You know, things were there and a bit ready to be thrown away and uh, it was a wonderful flavour. Oh, cus covered in dust and loneliness, mm. um, which I thought was a great phrase. And, mm. and it just seemed that so much of the, fl the shop reflected her, you know, the secondhand woman, you know, the, um, the I just, I felt it, it was, it was a good reflection. Um, mm. And I liked the old man coming in and I thought many of the bits of, of um, side roads, as it were, as she were good at reflecting her, you know, the fact she looked at a skull and said, ooh, you know, this could be useful. And so although there were a few setting off into the middle distance, I, I kind of figured it was a good way of showing her character. Okay. And so I did have, I felt I had a reasonable impression about her and was quite invested in her. So no, I thought it was a good piece. Uh, would you read on? Yeah, probably would. <laughs> probably would. Okay, well, coming from yes, Ali, that's, yes, that's high praise allowed, indeed. Yes, it would. <laughs> not, not allowed, though. No, good. No, it's, that's the trick, you see, to read actually without your lips moving. I haven't quite mastered yeah, that. Yeah, I've tried. I'm trying myself. <laughs> Tiffany. I liked, uh, well, the blurb, let's start with that. I also agreed it was a bit vague, and it felt, again, more like a theme. Um, and the title, I'm judging these things by the fact that I do work in women's fiction with publishers. Mm. And so mm. this is the kind of title I see authors use a lot that does say something about the story, but it doesn't really tell a reader a lot about the book. So mm. often this is the kind of title that gets changed. So that's where my score on that came from. For the yeah. submission itself, I thought the craft was terrific, but in the sense of what a lot of people have pointed out, this is really evocative writing. And not just the beauty of the prose itself, but the way that Ali pointed out, we're seeing something through those descriptions. It's telling us something about the character. So we get a nice sense of that. Uh, someone pointed out that opening graph with the hook about wearing someone else's clothes, someone else, or a bad color that doesn't suit her, and someone else's perfume. Well, we shortly find out why, of course. She's in a thrift shop. We can assume these are literally someone else's clothes. But yeah. it's a really interesting way to begin. 
as much as I liked the description and I did think it said something about her, it felt static to me, like we Mm. were reading more of a character sketch. So Mm. if we want to hook the reader and really plunge them into the story, I thought it came to life when the old man came in. We immediately got voice. We got a hint of conflict. I love that he, she gives as good as she gets. He says something like, you know, are you late or something? And she just comes right back with, now I'm mad. So now we're seeing who she is and we've got a little sense of conflict and something's in motion. I would love to see more of that beautiful description woven in amid more forward momentum in the story. Fantastic. Gosh, I can see why you're a pro here. This is this is good stuff, and I, 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 you know some people think that we show the submissions beforehand to our guests. We don't. We don't. Mm-hmm. I'm the only person who sees them because I've got to line them up, and of course our narrators do too. So you've got what you're getting is live reaction straight from the genius room, straight from our two guests. Let's look at the numbers now for you, Josephine. Forty-eight. I don't know if everyone's voted yet. No, I haven't voted. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, typical Pete, eh? What? Just busy, too busy gassing away. Yeah, I thought that was wrong. You got a 63 suddenly, Josephine. I hope you're happy with that. Let's look at the uh, overall scorecard now. It hasn't changed that much, has it, actually? Everyone's got decent marks today, but there's only one that's really, I mean, just amazingly stood out, eh? And yes, it's you. Stonkingly great score, Heather. With that sort of number, you could easily be our monthly winner and straight off to Heather Zeus. Quite possible. Have to wait and see for the next three weeks, I think. Is it? There's a month of uh, four Sundays, I think it is, yes. Well done, and well done you guys too, actually. I mean, we've, uh, we, what, what I've just realised is we've got, we've got a threefer. We've got three for the price of two. We've got Ellie, we've got Tiffany, Oh, we got Phoebe as well. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you did it remarkably well, Tiffany. Uh, it's it kind of it's kind of. I'm always interested to know what people think of it once they've done their first pop-ups. So, how was it for you? Was it a bit grueling? Was it a bit intense, or what? The scoring freaks me out because I yeah. have a hard time assigning numbers to things, even like movies. I can't give them star ratings because it's too subjective. So it that is. was a little yeah. challenging, but yeah. this is similar to something I do in a lot of my presentations called live edits, oh. where exactly this, that somebody reads it aloud and we just on the spot start looking into it. And I think it is an incredibly valuable thing for authors what you guys are offering them here is just it's the best way to learn to be objective about your own writing and also to see things that you can't see in your own writing yeah totally it absolutely is it sort of does it you do a 180 and you suddenly start to think oh that's why it's not working sometimes mm-hmm. yeah that's why it is working fantastic you've been a great guest tiffany you've been a great Thanks. guest ali i'm oh, back to phoebe you've been a great <laughs> guest too no, must have been phoebe. <laughs> otherwise uh there could be could be issues actually if we uh, forget about phoebe um thanks everyone behind the scenes obviously kate and rachel emily and our whole team of narrators and everyone else too who's made it Fairly good show today, and hopefully you'll join us again same time next week. Hit it!